This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we unjumble an important and sometimes under the radar statewide issue that affects you. And there is a national reckoning with cultural institutions, art museums on the issues surrounding race right now. And that's not just a uh, national issue. This is something that actually we are dealing with right here at home in Michigan. And so we wanted to take a deeper dive into this because there's some updates on what museums here in Michigan are doing to deal with these issues. So we called on one of our favorite people here on Mishmash, WDET's own Ryan Patrick Hooper, one of the hosts of Culture Shift here on WDET. Ryan Hooper, welcome to Mishmash. Thank you so much. So I wanted to start with, you know, again, there is this national reckoning happening across the country. Uh, How is that playing out here uh, locally in Metro Detroit and across Michigan? It definitely didn't take long for Detroit to be dragged into a lot of the other national headlines we were seeing um, in Boston, in New Orleans, at different contemporary museums. And it really started when uh, we started to, to open back up. Right when the Museum of Contemporary Art Detroit reopened, um, a bunch of disgruntled employees, as much as 70 of them and counting, that number might even be a little higher now, they came out and said, our leadership, our current director, Alicia Bowery-Reeder, is creating a toxic workplace. There's been uh, racial microaggressions towards certain people, and they had seen a turnstile of young black curators be brought in and never last very long because they would step out the door quite quickly, even if their shows were still hanging on the walls of the museum. Um, So that was a very high profile thing. You were seeing national arts coverage about that. And then it went right up the road to the Detroit Institute of Arts, uh, where they started taking a look at management there as well, the diversity of that management. And again, disgruntled employees. We have to remember that During COVID-19, the people most affected at museums are sort of below-the-line workers. These are cafeteria workers. These are security guards. Um, There's a lot of those people that hold up a museum, much more that are working kind of in the lobby of a museum than are working in the executive office of a museum. So that certainly exasperated some of the, the debates and the issues that were being brought up nationally and right here at Detroit, two of the most high-profile museums in the state. Why now? Why are people coming forward now? Museums are certainly in the crosshairs of the same sort of social movements that we're seeing. The social movements are kind of creating ripple effects that are landing in our cultural institutions because our cultural institutions are reflectively white. You see a lot of white artists on the walls. People are wondering, why isn't there more diversity actually in the executive office? You know, some of the numbers are really staggering when you dive into cultural institutions. Um, Only 12% of people of color hold an executive position at a museum. So that's a very low number. Um, And a lot of the artwork that's actually hanging on the walls it isn't very diverse either. Um, even the DIA is known to have um, one of the whitest Eurocentric collections in the country, but the numbers separating other museums in Boston on the East Coast or in the West Coast, you know, everyone's kind of close in that number. So I think this issue is already existing and having a conversation in the cultural lexicon and, and cultural circles in the United States, but now following George Floyd, following people taking to the streets. This was yet another thing that became 
in the crosshair. So the ripple effects, as we've seen, you know, the dominoes have fallen in so many different industries in so many different ways. And it is all stemming around race and inequality. So, Ryan, the DIA has recently taken public steps aimed at improving diversity and inclusion, including hiring a firm to aid them in that process. Does this signal a genuine effort to deal with these issues or is this more about handling the sort of public relations crisis? Shana, I want to believe it is genuine. Um, I would hope that all of these museums, all of these cultural institutions are taking a look at the artists that they're able to benefit and gain traction from. A lot of the young black artists that they'll hang on their walls because African-American art is extremely popular right now, but it doesn't necessarily match who's actually in the executive room. So I would hope that they take a look at what benefits them and, and who they're sort of taking advantage of. Um, and, and want to really make some changes and bring in fresh voices and bring in fresh perspectives uh, into that executive role. But when you read the language and you see the moves that some of the museums make, it does feel like a press release. And I think a lot of institutions dealing with reckoning over race, it often does feel like it's more important to get the press release right than it is to actually make changes. Um, and it stems from the fact that museums can sometimes be very large, right? So the DIA, I think there's about 500 people that work there. So there's probably a lot of issues that you could find in a lot of different departments there. Um, and a lot of miscommunication. It's tough to kind of organize all of those people and, and have clear policies that are going to be followed at every single way. I also bring up the MOCAD, the Museum of Contemporary Art Detroit. They had a board of nearly 40 people. And it's not clear who's very involved in that board, who's not really coming into the thing, and how much do they care about actually correcting some of those things. So it's a step in the right direction, bringing in uh, an inclusion or diversity czar or officer or whatever. You know, it's definitely a step in the right direction, and I hope it can make changes. But I think everyone's been in a workplace where they bring somebody in and they kind of put something on paper. If you follow these steps, it'll work. And then a lot of times those steps don't necessarily get followed in the way they're supposed to be followed. And the result is a press release just saying, hey, we're trying. What's interesting about the DIA situation is that there's a disconnect here a little bit in terms of what we're hearing from a lot of employees and also what you're hearing from people in the community in Detroit, that there are a lot of uh, people um, that live in Detroit who've been here for a long time, who are uh, more representative of the community that exists here in Detroit, uh, that have come to the director's defense in a lot of ways, saying that there has been a lot of outreach, that they do feel like there is a lot of uh, effort to include their voices in the programming that's happening at the at the DIA. So uh, to be fair to the museum, um, you know, there is there is some support that they are getting from uh, the from the city. No doubt. You know, we talked about the the wealth of Eurocentric art that's hanging on their walls and statistically how that makes the collection at the DIA, you know, one of the whitest in the country. But in that same study, and this necessarily this wasn't necessarily uh, bandied about in the same way, they have made the most progress in getting more African American art on their walls. So, you know, Salvador Salort Pons had had equated it, the director of the DIA, he had equated it to trying to stop a freight ship. You know, these museums are old. The museum, uh, the DIA itself is 130 years old. And a lot of the directors before Salvador 
We're just following. There was there was no questioning at that time about what was going to be hung on the walls of the museum. It was all Eurocentric art. African American art had no place in museums in the forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties. I mean, we're just starting mm-hmm. to see it um, get its due. Some of the defenders that that you bring up, one one of the most high profile ones, Jake and Shana, is Henry Harper, who runs something called the Detroit Fine Arts Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. I consider this the epicenter of black community art in the city. They they run basically a showroom in a Coney Island. They've had to take it virtual now. But they were really excited to be invited into the DIA. Salvador actually went to this Coney Island in northwest Detroit and hung out there with his wife. And Henry Harper said to me, I can't remember the last time that the DIA director came to the hood. Mm -hmm. So there is effort there that seems very genuine. Um, And I could see why people are defending it. Also, they had an incredible uh, show recently called Detroit Collects, which was all about black collectors and black art in the city of Detroit. And, you know, going to that opening, you could see people that were really, I don't want to say grateful, but excited to finally have a space in their hometown museum, their hometown art museum and wondering why weren't we here decades before? So mm. those changes, I think, are really important to people, and I could see why people are defending it. Um, but again, you know, some of the numbers that you see out of museums, it, it's it, no wonder people are skeptical. I think one of the, the shocking things that I've seen is that out of over 300 museums surveyed nationally, only 4% of curators were black. And, and mm. the DIA does kind of align with those numbers, too. So... It's 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 a great debate to have because it's like man, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, you can see why people would want to defend some of the changes the DIA has DIA has made, and they've certainly made some progress there, and it does seem very genuine. Ryan, we've been talking a lot about what's going on in Detroit with this. Have you uh, seen anything similar going on, or any type of reckoning going on? You know, sort of in other places uh, in the state and at other museums and cultural institutions. Not so much, to be honest. Um, You know, I I think of the main issues right now are with other museums outside of the city have to do with funding, and and funding is a big part of what's going on in Detroit, too. But I do think because it is a uh, predominantly black city with often white people running (laughs) the executive positions in these museums, it's, it's a hotbed for this topic to come up. Um, and, and one thing that you do see just looking out in Metro Detroit, I wanted to bring up this study that was recently done that showed that white and black Metro Detroiters feeling very far apart from their ability to actually access arts and cultural institutions in their community. So maybe we're not seeing it in the headlines of a paper about an issue at the museum, but there's definitely a feeling in the community in Metro Detroit that for white Metro Detroit audiences, they feel like they could go see cultural programming, arts and activities very easily. That number dropped about 15% when you asked non-white residents if they had that same feeling. They didn't feel like they had the same access to cultural uh, events, museums, things like that. And could that be reflective of what's actually on the wall at that museum? Could it be reflective of some of the headlines that we've seen over the summer about racial reckonings at these museums? It's definitely having an effect on disconnecting people from things that that really should feel more open, welcoming, and representative of who's actually walking into that space. 
Yeah, on that note, Ryan, uh, I wanted to, for one thing, play a quote from Salvador Salort Pons, who, again, is the director of the Detroit Institute of Arts. Uh, He joined Stephen Henderson on Detroit Today recently to talk about all of this. Um, And and he had some thoughts about what the role of a museum is, especially inside its own community. Here's what he said. I really see the role of uh, the DIA as a role in which the museum can help improve our society. And we can do it through the power of art. So, so Ryan, there is an acknowledgement there about not just being a museum that uh, provides fine art for the traditional audiences that usually enjoy, enjoy again, European-centric fine art at museums like the DIA, um, that, this is, that this is a different mission uh, in some ways than museums have uh, acknowledged in the past. A different mission for the DIA, for sure, is they have to think about the three counties that have supported their millage, and one of them being Macomb, where they've had to make a lot of outreach to that community. Um, Some would argue, is that why you see a Star Wars exhibit at Mm -hmm. the DIA? Is that why you see a baseball card exhibit or one about car design? Those are very general topics that feel like they could be catering to your uncle in Macomb, right? (laughs) Right. Um, But what Salvador is getting at, too, is that at the end of the day, you know, we can go over the numbers, we can go over who's sitting in what chair and, and what job they're doing, but there is something powerful about seeing a piece of art and seeing a piece of yourself reflected in it. So, I, you know, kind of cutting through all of that, art is designed to give you a feeling, and that feeling should be one of welcoming you in and maybe seeing a little bit more of yourself on the walls, and the power of that can be extremely transformative. I think, unfortunately, in Metro Detroit, when you survey people, they're not necessarily feeling as connected to these cultural institutions. And could that be after decades of not reflecting their communities? I think that that might be the case. Hopefully, like Salvador said, art and the power of it can prevail. But I do think there's going to have to be a more serious look at the systemic policies that have led us to this point. So, Ryan, you know, this all – we've kind of been talking around this subject a little bit, but I want to ask just directly. I mean this brings up the question, who is art for? Especially who is, I guess you could call fine art for, the kind of art that you find in the halls of uh, DIA or a Metropolitan um, Museum of Art in New York or, uh, you know, other really sort of uh, the, the top tier art museums in the United States. Art should be universal, right? Art is universal. That's the definition of art. But when we're talking about these kinds of institutions, you know, uh, what can we really talk? Uh, what, what can we determine from this kind of conversation about who they're serving and who that art in those kinds of institutions is for? Jake, I think you can make the case that museums are bristling at the fact that they have to change who they have been for traditionally, um, which is upper middle class white people. I, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I, I think uh, it's reflected on the artwork that's on the walls um, and the people that are seeing that artwork. It's usually white faces looking back at white mm-hmm. faces. Um, I, I have to give some credit to a black art historian, uh, Stephen Nelson, who's actually one of those 12% people of color who now holds an executive position at a museum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he said to me, exclusion, exclusion at cultural institutions goes back to the beginning of cultural institutions. Um, He talked about the idea of a systemic and historical issue that reflects Eurocentric origins of the artwork itself. Those origins of the artwork have tend to 
had roots in who's actually in the office, who's curating that artwork, and who's focusing on connecting with what members of the community. It's almost like it's popping out of the frame and becoming, you know, decision making in the museum. Um, and and he had this great quote that I really do want to share. You know, we see the arts as this bastion of not only race but also class. If you are not white. If you are not upper middle class, you often see the arts in terms of careers that are not open to you. So if you only have people that are white in certain careers in museums, it we know historically that it will reflect their experiences and what they see, which is usually the white experience. So what Steven Nelson is bringing up and what a lot of people have brought up is that you have to hire a more diverse range of people to get more diverse artwork on the walls to welcome a more diverse group of people into the museum itself. So in a lot of the reporting I've done, it starts with deliberate hiring of bringing in those people. So right now, I would say fine art is not designed to be for everybody, at least inside of our cultural institutions historically. Hopefully more of them will do less of a press release and more of real legitimate changes in hiring and who they're bringing in to actually curate the art that's on those walls. Ryan Patrick Hooper is the host of WDET's Culture Shift. Thank you so much, our wonderful returning guest, for being here and educating us on all of this stuff that you've been looking into. Jake and Shana, thank you so much. Thank you.